and I will bring the good culmination to all things. But Lord, we are loath to even understand often our own hearts. For we know that we can be blinded by sin and not even know it. And so, Lord, even as Jill asked this morning for special prayer, that uh, the love of God would reign in her heart and that all the little cubbies within that heart might be filled. If there's dark places, may the light shine. And Father, we believe that for each of us, no matter, no matter how desperate we think our situation has become, no matter how far removed we may conclude that we have drifted away from the true faith, Lord, you only desire that we come back and that we confess that you, Lord God, are the only answer for our lives and that we depend entirely on you and that we know you are gracious and good and that you will forgive and you will restore. For Lord, uh, that commonality that exists throughout all mankind is his propensity to lift himself up and become the master of his own destiny. That we reject, Lord. And we say to you, teach us and work in us in such a way that all darkness would be dispelled. Bless this word to these people today. You know each of their needs. Lord, you know that they're in any place where there is a failure to comprehend one's own waywardness, that that you can cast light upon and reveal. We, Lord, say to you that that which you reveal, we will respond in like manner to trust wholly in you. And so as we have asked and is deep in our heart, Lord, that our lives are not, not about lifting ourselves, but our lives are about lifting up your name. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we must love you with our whole heart. For except we love you, Lord, we are just mouthing that which we think we ought to say. We love you, Lord. Work in us. 
that our love may become more perfect. Yes. This, we believe, is your joyful work in our lives. For we pray and thank you that you will do it. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 33. I have found that um, the repetition in Isaiah of the Lord uh, giving Isaiah uh, the truth of the state of Israel, uh, whereby he continually gives the prophecy that there is blessing and there are cursings for that nation. For Lord, most of us have had enough time in your word when considering your special people in the earth who really are the, are the type of the experiences of the life of each Christian with all the, the failures and misunderstandings, uh, rebellions. Lord God, we see in Israel, and I hope this is true, Lord, we see in Israel that which is common to our own lives. And so, as we read through Isaiah, we read a paragraph where God is promising to do a great thing in the future. But immediately after that, we will read a paragraph regarding the failure of the nation. Isaiah 33 starts out with promises and warnings. The word woe is the first word. Woe unto thee that spoileth, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. That's one of the things that's difficult 
for us impatient uh, human beings is simply to wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, wait upon the Lord. For those who wait upon the Lord shall be lifted up with wings as eagles. They shall walk. Uh, they should run and not grow weary. They should walk and not faint. And so, Lord, may we not be like Abraham and Sarah when given the promise of a uh, rightful son of their own bodies, when given that promise, it did not immediately come to pass. And so they rushed ahead of the Lord. And you know the story that Sarah convinced Abraham that he should take her handmaid, Hagar, and lie with her, and in that manner to bring about that promised son. But that is not what God intended or uh, had promised to do. And sure enough, they ran ahead of the Lord they caused serious trouble in that when Isaac was born, then he was despised by his half-brother and by Hagar, who wanted the blessings of Abraham to come uh, to Isaac. And so Sarah, Sarah caused Abraham to put Hagar and her son out in the desert. For all she knew, they would die. But God was merciful, and he had a plan even for Ishmael. But this seems to be, well, it doesn't seem, it is clear that through the entire description of God's dealing with his people before the cross of Christ, uh, that even after he had called a people unto himself and made certain promises, they were... Uh, unable or unwilling to believe God. And sure enough, after he would chasten them, they would fall back uh, in line whereby they would, uh, they responded to his chastening. But it wasn't long before they would fall again into sin. One of the sins that continually thwarted the nation of Israel 
drug her down was the sin of idolatry, whereby they abandoned the worship of the invisible God for idols that they made with their own hands. And they became like the heathen nations around them. Continually, God chastened, chastened them for that activity and others. And so as we look through chapter 33, um, we get down to verse 13. We find Isaiah saying, Hear ye that are far off what I have done, and you that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners of Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And then the tone changes as Israel was fearful of the of the chastisement that was coming uh, in their minds from the Assyrians. We find in verse 15 something that sounds very much like Psalm 1. And Isaiah says, He that walketh right righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood and shutting his eyes from seeing evil he shall dwell on high his place of defense shall be the munitions of the rocks Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. And as he goes on, we find in verses 20, we're in chapter 33 of Isaiah, in verse 20, we find a short paragraph that deals with the blessings of God in the millennial temple. This is characteristic. It's just in and out. It's, it's chastisement, then it's promise of blessing. Then it's chastisement, it's promise of blessing. And so verse 20 says, Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be shaken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. 
but there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey, and the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. <coughs> Now, I couldn't help but think that from the very beginning, you know, it's one thing, for example, to raise your children. And let us say you raised children and they became 14 or 15 years old. And then you begin to punish them for everything wrong that they would do. And you had not, when they were young, you had not given them uh, a outline of what would happen if they disobeyed parents, and what would happen if they obeyed parents? And so it would be blessing and cursing. But all of us would agree that it would not be fair for the Lord to let us one day realize, because we had never been told that God was watching us and that he would chasten us severely according to those premises and promises that he implemented when Israel was very, very young, just in her very beginnings. And when I thought of that, I considered the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the scripture, the book of Deuteronomy is a restatement of the law that God had handed down earlier on from Mount Sinai. And it's quite an interesting study for when we, when we look at it, you might want to turn there and we get to chapter 
we get to chapter 27, we find Moses commanding the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And I think before I go into this, I'm going to ask Mark if he'd just bring a, a little word of music to us.
Thank you very much, Mark. Sure. And so when we get to the end, towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means second law. Um, when we get to the end of that, um, we find that Moses and the priests take some period of time to assure themselves that they have made every Israelite aware of what will be the consequences of turning away from God's commands, his precepts, and turning their hearts uh, to other than him. It's so insidious. The the desire in every human being to, to be looked at as valuable. This morning, as I was reviewing what we were gonna do today, it came to me that by my own intellect with whatever experience I've had ministering the word, it came to me that this is one of the most difficult teachings I have ever done. It's not real cohesive and it bounces around from one uh, idea to another. And it came to me that my problem was 
that if I do not do that which before the Lord is laudable, and that which I present, having taken up your time on this Sunday morning, has not been what we would call that was a good word from the Lord. And I know if that happens, then I will feel the sense of failure. And all of a sudden, it just, it just hit me between the eyes that what I was concerned about was me. How, how insidious is that? And that, that is, and I mean this with all sincerity, that one weakness of us human beings is to consider ourselves and make make what we do even that we think we're doing for the Lord to make what we do a matter of bringing esteem to ourselves. And I knew that as long as I made my ministry to have the foundation of bringing myself before people whereby they would consider me worthy worthy to teach, then I would always be deficient in bringing the message that ought to be brought. And the person to whom I truly desire be glorified in it. I remember in one place Paul said that certain ones sought self-esteem for themselves, but not the glory of the Lord. For everything in our life that we do in considering that we are God's redeemed people and considering that he has given us the Holy Ghost and to consider that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
and that he has given us even the power that we may that we may reflect the very righteousness of his being that is his divine nature that then there comes the question will i do that because he deserves it or will i do that because if i do it well i can be lifted up and i think the answers to those questions to each of us are obvious But they are also questions that may elude us. And the answers may not be found except the Lord open our eyes and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In this passage in Deuteronomy on blessing and cursings, when I get to chapter 29, verse 29, I read these words. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so what we desire is that those things that aren't seen by the natural man, as 1 Corinthians says, the natural man receiveth not the things that are of God but he understands only those things that are associated with the material world and uh, that which we perceive as what it means to live in that world. But the fact is that we do not comprehend that this material world we live in is but a small subset of that all that God has created. We don't see heaven in this material world. We cannot observe the angels as they go from place to place to minister the things of God we have not been made aware of what will God do after the millennial kingdom and after he has created a new heaven and a new earth and that righteousness will dwell in them and the curse will be gone. 
but we're not given information. Those are things that God does know. But they are not the things he has revealed to us for the present. But what he has revealed to us for the present is that his requirement for that which he has offered us, in our case as Christians, it is eternal life as being sons of God and the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ and being kings and priests in the millennial kingdom and those things he has revealed. And so it is needful that the things he has revealed to us, we learn quite well and that we do great due diligence to make sure that we understand what it is required to become a glory to God. And when you boil it all down, what is required to become a glory to God is to lose all appreciation of the self that we would call our life. For does not the scripture say that Christ is our life? But I consider my life as something separate from his is, is it not true that eternal life will be that life of the Spirit, that life which only God has, and that the life of a fleshly being, in order to apprehend that which is of much higher level, that, that life of self and all that the self desires must be abandoned. In short, it is required for those who will glorify God to indeed do as Christ did in Philippians 2, where he humbled himself and became absolutely submiss submissive to the Father. In all things, all things great and small, is my hope in the working of Almighty God through the, the 
blessing of the cross of Jesus Christ and by the life of the Holy Ghost. I submit to you that every failure that we read about in Israel was because they were not able for the most part, except for a few bright spots, they were not able to die to themselves, count their own lives as without value, and to count that which is owed to God as everything. And so because of that, Moses, even before he arrived at the promised land, made an encampment that went on for weeks, and he started to outline the blessings and cursings that would belong to Israel depending on whether or not they obeyed God and held him in high esteem. And remember, he had already told them that the greatest thing they could do was to love him with all their heart, their mind, their strength. If, if all of our love is towards God, how much is left for us? But the love of God, which abounds in us, reaches out to everyone. And we can love truly. Our neighbor as God loves us. We can love the brethren. And we will not look at every situation in our life as how it affects self. But we should look at it as to an opportunity to bring glory to God and to wait on him to do what he does. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 27, we began to look at some of the curses starting in verse 15. Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image or an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and put it in a secret place, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Have you ever heard it said, maybe by a wife or someone who knows a father well, and that father has a hot car, he has a beautiful car, it is an unusual, valuable and he spends a major portion of his time 
polishing that car. And then on sunny days, taking it for a drive that others may see him and admire the car that he has. I've had, I've heard wives describe their husbands in terms that that car is his pride and joy. And it is so insidious that material things can become in our life our pride and our joy. And I tell you that is idolatry. And everybody does it. I am sure that in Israel, as idolatry swept across the land on a number of occasions, that if you had an idol, you knew that everybody else had one too. And so it was commonplace in Israel for, for each household to have a little place where they kept their idols. Or it was common for them to go up into the groves and the mountains and to worship Baal and to worship Astaroth and to uh, worship Tammuz. And that was, they did not consider that as being so disturbing to the Lord. They did not recognize how they were grieving the Holy Ghost. And so it can become for any believer that our, our valuing of anything in this world is an idol when it is our source of pride and joy. I think all of us know when we've been there. Cursed be, verse 16, he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people say amen. One of the primary failures in the family system in Israel was that often offspring did not obey the first commandment. Well, I, maybe it was the second commandment, but it was, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Cursed be that he removeth his neighbor's landmark. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way. Cursed be 
that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, the fatherless and the, and the widow. Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife because he uncovers his father's skirt. Cursed be he that lieth with any manner of beast. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, his daughter, or his father. Cursed be he that lieth with his mother-in-law. Cursed be he that smiteth his neighbor secretly. Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. And so the Lord goes on and through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And he then gives a series of blessings. Unfortunately, if we study the overall success of Israel in obtaining the blessings of God, we can only find a very few bright spots. And they were never long lived. And that people waxed worse and worse. And the worse and the more of an embarrassment they came before God, the more they were able to become complacent with that which they should have considered to be their terrible failure before Almighty God. And so I won't list these curses, but as Moses got into these, when I get over to chapter 28, verse 45, we read this, moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed because thou hearkens not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee, and they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shall thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth, 
as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. It gets so bad that in verse 53, we read these words. This is to Israel. This is what they are headed for. This did happen uh, on more than one occasion. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye delicate, his eye shall be evil towards his brother and towards the wife of his bosom and towards the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. Finally, in verse 58, Moses says, if thou will not observe to do all the works, the words of this law that are written in the book, thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Well, we know the scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I wonder how many of us look at the Lord from the standpoint that he is just and righteous, and he will not overlook the iniquity even in our own lives. For he will chasten those whom he loves. And not to be chastened is to be a bastard child. And all of that finally becomes to, comes to a culmination of the ending of Isaiah's commission to speak the words of God to the nation of Israel along the lines of blessings and curses. And finally, it leads us up in chapter 34 of Isaiah to a description of the battle of Armageddon. Verse eight says to me in chapter 34, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. Verse 9, 
and the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch, and it shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie in waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Now, what's the Lord talking about there? Well, he's talking about the day of vengeance. He's talking about what he is going to do to the lands that were known as uh, Moab, portions of it, and the land that was known as Edom, uh, from which uh, Herod, the king, wicked King Herod, came. He was half Edomite. Uh, and that God's going to place a great judgment in the tribulation on those period, on those places, those locations. Mm -hmm. And it appears that it's going to be something that is permanent. And after discussing that, telling us that the Lord is, is going to do an extremely destructive work in the earth, then he will be ready to bring a great blessing upon the nation. And that will be, according to Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. And if you haven't read it for a while, I would advise you to read it and look for one simple fact, that the new covenant does not delineate any conditions regarding what Israel will have to do that it will be enacted. The scripture simply tells me that when they see him, they will believe. Israel is our example. If I go to the book of Revelation, most of you ought to know this, and I come to the seventh church at Laodicea, I'm sure that there are a number of you who could characterize what the apostle John had to say, or the Lord saying, actually through John, the Lord Jesus spoke of Laodicea as neither hot nor cold, and that Christ would spew that church out of his mouth. Do not think that Christendom becomes purer and purer towards the end of this dispensation. For the fact is that the church will become weaker and weaker. And finally, 
the Lord will take his church out of the earth before that great and terrible day of the Lord. My friends, the ways of God have never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I read the Old Testament for the purpose that I see the ways of God. I also see the ways of men and that there will be very few that come through every age of the government of God and move on towards his eternal blessing. Let us not listen to a sermon such as this. Let us not look at it and say, what is being discussed here is about everybody else. But allow God to open your heart and show you where there are elements of it that may be true in your very own life. Remember, our God is a consuming fire. He is filled with mercy and grace, but he will by no means clear the guilty. That is those whose sins have not been dealt with by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we'll stop there today. What I am going to do uh, next time, and we will finish the first half of Isaiah, because there is so much. One of the last good kings in Judah, there were no good kings in Israel. They were all evil. That is the northern kingdom. There were a few good kings uh, in the southern kingdom, and that included Hezekiah. And from this point forward, there was only one more king who feared God, and his name was Josiah. And he made a serious mistake. But after that, uh, there, there were only kings that brought judgment upon Judah, the southern kingdom. But the king Hezekiah, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to fall back on the wisdom of God. Because the story that is coming regarding Hezekiah 
it's starting with verse 36, or turn, pardon me, chapter 36, and going all the way through chapter 38, every one of these chapters is a narrative regarding particular things that went on uh, with King Hezekiah, who was very fearful that what had happened to the northern kingdom was going to happen to the southern kingdom. That would be that the Assyrians would come through, destroy everything, and take, kill most of the people and take the rest of them captive. I think the Lord must have wanted to give a lot of attention to this because I find this story in great detail back in uh, in Second Kings. And I find it again in the Chronicles. And then this long, arduous account of it that we find in the book of Isaiah. And so we're going to look at a man, Hezekiah. He was a man perhaps much like all of us. He had a relationship with God, but he made some serious mistakes. But yet he was referred to in the scripture as a, a king who was considered upright before the Lord. Once we get done with that, we are going to move into an entirely new section of Isaiah. And that section is going to be, for the most part, very upbeat. And it's going to give us uh, a number of messianic prophecies. And I'm looking forward to that second half. Remember there are 20, yeah, there, there were 39 chapters. There are 39 books of the Old Testament. There are 27 chapters after this, as there were 27 books, we will call them, in the New Testament. Quite interesting. Uh, do you think that is just a coincidence? I don't think so. I, even though I know that the Bible was had no punctuation, was not broken into chapters by the ones who wrote it, but that men of God later on divided it as we see it. And this is what the Lord led them to come up with. I trust him in that. Yes. And so this is an opportunity. You know, the Old Testament puts a mirror in front of us. 
like that mirror we find in James chapter two. In James chapter two, James said that many of us are like a man who looks in a mirror and he sees what he really is. But as soon as he turns around and quits looking, he reverts back to the man that he was. May that not be true. May we press on. Uh, and we thank God that he has given us everything we need to continue pressing towards that mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we, uh, as we consider this great and marvelous writing that took a number of decades for Isaiah to write, We thank you for Isaiah that he, he listened to you and he gave his life to this work. Tradition has it that it cost him his life. As quite frankly, Lord, becoming a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, one way or the other will cost us our life. This is your way. Thank you, Lord, for your great salvation. Thank you, Lord, that we do not just have seven years of tribulation to know is coming, a thousand years of the millennial kingdom. But Lord, we have eternity. Lord, you love us. And because you love us, Lord, you've shed your love abroad in our hearts. And we love you back. Bless your holy name. For we pray in Jesus. Amen.